Ephesians 3, 1 to 6. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the word of God. All right, good morning, good morning. You got me, right? There's no uh, more technical difficulties, we hope. Well, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are in the book of, well, actually, if you are new here, welcome. So great to have you. We actually have Bibles in the back if you don't have a Bible. We would love to have everybody in this planet to own a Bible. You can actually download the app. ESV is what we use here at the shore, and so you please go ahead and download that app if you don't have one already. It is actually really important and vital that you have the Word of God in front of you so that you can learn from it along with me and follow along with the text that we've just read to you as well as what we've been going through. So we have been going through current series of Ephesians. We are in chapter three, as you just heard Shelley read so beautifully. And we're in chapters three, verses one through six. The first three books of Ephesians are actually, and you've been looking at it the whole time here on this, uh, around this sermon series, if you've been around, if you're new here, you can check it out on the screen, but it's Ephesians death to life, and that part one is first three chapters, part one, two, or chapters one, two, and three is the wealth, the wealth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the wealth of salvation, the wealth of the good news that Jesus paid for your penalty. Your sin was accredited to him and, you, and his righteousness was accredited to you. So the wealth of the good news of the gospel. So before we get any further, let me again pray and uh, walk through this text together. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much that you are our propitiation, that you are our salvation, that you are the atoning sacrifice for our sin penalty against you. Lord, you're so good. You've brought us from death, spiritually dead, to a spiritual alive. And I just pray, Lord, that as we walk through this text uh, in chapter three, that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. Maybe something that we've read in the past and now uh, it's like an unveiling to us uh, for now in the present. And so I pray for our hearts and our minds as you've unveiled some things to me uh, over this week. I just pray that I will um, step aside from your word and let your word do the teaching this morning. And I pray that you'll use me despite me. I thank you for this body that is here with us this morning. I pray a blessing upon them. Please, Father, be merciful and gracious to us now as we receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, before we get into where I want to take us in the scripture, <clears throat> uh, I want to enlighten us to something that's taking place here in verses one through six. Uh, I'm not sure if you've noticed it, but verses one through six, Paul, our Uncle Paul, our crazy Uncle Paul, is actually on a huge tangent here. 
So this week and actually next week, we're going on a tangent of sorts following what Paul is doing. So in that first verse, in that first sentence, Paul literally interrupts himself and goes into this uh, tangent, this thing, that, not because he has a wandering mind or something that he's, he's really distracted in, but because he wants to really help us focus on the significance of what he's saying to us this morning and also next week. This is what we're going to be hitting in this next chapter, this, uh, uh, I guess, tangent of Paul's. And look at it in verse 1 again with me in your Bibles. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he just stops. Like he literally just stops sentence. Like is there anybody in your family that does this? Like just stops what they're saying and then tangents off into something else. Like go ahead and point them out. Like point at them right now. This is the person in our family that does this. Like I asked, uh, I guess my family, if I would ask them, they would probably all point at me. Like you're the one, dad, that actually just stops and starts talking about something else. Right? Like we all know someone that does this, but why do these people do these things? Well, really two reasons if you think about it. One is possibly that they have a lot of things going on in their mind and they're just constantly changing the topic. Secondly, maybe they have something that they really want to get make clear to you and they see that you as a listener, they, you're missing something and you want to really get home that significance of whatever is saying. Paul here is that person. Our crazy Uncle Paul loves you like a brother and a sister and he wants you to get the significance of what he's saying here in this verse. He's breaking off actually in a 12 verse tangent that we're gonna cover over these next two weeks and saying something incredibly significant that we, not, we should not miss. So before getting to the message that Paul wants to nail down for us, I wanna point out a couple words that really stuck out to me as we go through this, this text and maybe stuck out to you as well as it was just read for us. The first word is prisoner, like prisoner. Sitting in, in my coffee shop this week, I did a shallow dive, a shallow dive into prisoner. Not a deep dive, but a shallow dive, and it was actually pretty funny because I, I went into YouTube. Like YouTube is a great resource, but a wonderland of distraction, right? Like it's, it is a massive distraction. It can take you on different tangents all over the place. You can spend hours upon hours. But it was funny, I was sitting in my coffee shop and I'm watching this YouTube video on prisoners. Not something that you wanna see, right? So I'm kinda hiding away, I'm like kind of ashamed, got my earbuds in, I'm trying to watch it, and then somebody comes up to me in the, my booth and goes right up close to me and goes, hey Jer, how are you? Let me introduce you to one of my friends. And I was like, oh my goodness, how are you? Just doing some research. Uh, just doing some research on the things that I'm studying. But anyways, I was watching these prison, these inmates, and I don't recommend it, but it was very interesting. A lot of language that you might not want to listen to, but these, these individuals, it was so interesting to hear what it was like to be a prisoner. There's rules and laws and covenants that you just do not break. Like covenants that you don't break. If you do break them, because these are man-made laws and man-made covenants, it ends with abuse, 
It ends with stabbings. It ends with separation, like racial, like the racial separation in the prison land is crazy. It ends up with, to the point of even murder. But the one thing I was looking for while doing this dive into help us understand this word prisoner, I found. Like we, in some way or form, are prisoners to something or someone, like each one of us. So this word prisoner comes with many connotations and thoughts as well. Like the natural one to understand is that, that uh, like you've done something wrong. You've done something against the law of the greater community, either harming someone or yourself, and you've been charged with a penalty, and that penalty is to be in prison for a certain amount of time to pay off that penalty that you deserve. Another is that you are enslaved to someone like the prison rules. Like whatever the people say you have to do, you no longer have personal rights to live for, anything else to say or decide for yourself. The people decide you, how you live, what you do, when you do it, who you speak to, what you are allowed to say. And that's not just the warden and the guards governing these prisoners. That was the prisoners guarding themselves creating their own sub-laws within the system. See, this seems harsh, but the reason you maybe have been locked away is because you have broken the law. And you've, uh, in the greater community, you've harmed others and you've been locked away. So another thought that comes to mind when hearing the word prisoner is that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try, you are enslaved to someone. Paul introducing himself as a prisoner says a lot. Especially when he finishes this identity statement in that verse first. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, not of Nero, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, Paul is proclaiming something very important here that we ought not miss. He's proclaiming that his people in the prison system are no longer himself, no longer other people, but God himself. No longer man's rules, but God's rules. He is using this identity language again and later in chapter four, verse one, the same beginning of that that chapter, and we'll get that in the new year, but it says, when he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, in our text, it's prisoner for Christ Jesus. Remember back in the very, one of the very first uh, messages that I spoke on, this, on chapter one in Ephesians, we unpacked a lot of different words, like Paul, an apostle. Uh, we talked about Lord Christ Jesus. And Paul is saying, like I said, he's saying something very significant here. He's saying that he is subject to, under the authority of, the supreme one the eternal, the absolute Lord of lords and King of kings, the anointed one, the Messiah. Paul, in a very real definition, is reminding us that he is a saint and a sufferer of Christ Jesus under his eternal authority. And get this, he does not want to be anywhere else. He doesn't want to be anywhere else. 
See, we do know Paul is currently serving a sentence in jail, but could this be a, a double entendre of sorts? Like one word saying two multiple things. A prisoner behind bars, no doubt. Like he wrote this letter in prison. But also a prisoner of the truth that has been revealed to his heart that he now feels enslaved to and cannot any longer escape from. And this new voice of identity is telling him where to go, what to do, how to live, and what to talk about. I think this double entendre works when you see the context surrounding this self-identity language. Like, look again at verse one. It's on the screen for you as well. It says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. The phrase, for this reason, must take your mind back to the first two chapters. And what did we learn? That we're chosen that we're holy, made holy and blameless. That we're adopted into the eternal family of God. That there's unity. That there's no more separation between us and Christ. That we are now brought near to him by the blood that he shed on the cross. The penal substitutionary atonement. He was our atoning sacrifice that there's no more strangers, there's no more hostility within your own heart against you, no more hostility between you and I, no more hostility between you and God. The borders are broken. You are now a citizen of Christ Jesus. Your members are partakers of his promises. You are being built on the foundation of Christ Jesus, the prophets and the apostles, to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is what we've learned for this reason. This is a new type of slavery. Paul in his other letter to the Romans says something very similar in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 14. You can read along with me on the screen. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, your physical body. Let it not reign. This has something to do with your power here. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let your sin not reign in you to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments. Let me just transfer word there, instrument, prisoners of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Sound familiar? You've been brought from death to life and your members uh, to God as instruments for righteousness. So no longer are you a slave to unrighteousness, You're a slave to righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but now under under the authority, under grace, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Or in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6, 15, it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you get that? Like literally members of Christ. You are enslaved to what Christ is doing. You're a member of his, to his workings, to his movements, to what he says and how he says it. But it gets better. You can see it on on the screen, verse 17 in the same chapter. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord physically also becomes one spiritually, spirit with him. You're not just joined physically to being a member of his, but you're joined physically. His Holy Spirit resides in you. You're spiritually dead, now you're spiritually alive. 
And then verses 19 and 20 of the same chapter, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, the price of his shed blood for you. You've done nothing. So glorify God in your body. In your physical body, glorify him. You are a prisoner for the Lord, both physically and spiritually. This is the wealth of the gospel. Paul here, in our text in Ephesians, is identifying himself as a prisoner, and he has been doing this across all of his missionary journeys, to the Roman church, to the Corinth church, and now to the Ephesus church, and to us here presently in 2021. So if Paul identifies himself as a prisoner, how does that affect us? He's called us to not be slaves of unrighteousness, but to be slaves of righteousness, to be prisoners along with him. So what's the application? Like, what's the application for you and I? And I can't let this slide. I'm your pastor. And this is our church. So we have to see this. Like, we can't read and study and memorize and meditate on this book of Ephesians and miss the shepherding of what Paul is saying to his people. If we walk out of here unchanged, I'm not doing what I'm called to do. Or you aren't listening and just ignoring and wanting your complacent life to continue to walk in what you're doing. If you don't come to church every Sunday and don't change, there's something going on. You are imprisoned to something else. So if Paul identifies himself as a prisoner, how does that affect us? Well, you, we, I'm included in this. I was saying to John earlier today, like when he came and prayed for me in the back, this has been like a punch right in the gut for me. So I'm with you. So when I'm speaking boldly towards you, I'm speaking it to myself as well. So you, we have to see this. We are prisoners. We are either prisoners of death or we are prisoners of life. We are. So there's no other option. There's no other option. To think you are free is to play the fool. We talked about this uh, in the past weeks. Each of us, whether rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, we are all destined to stand before the holy God of creation. That's our destiny. We will stand before the holy God of creation one day and have to account for what we've done. That should put the fear of God within us. The holy God. Think about that. Standing before the holy God of gods. The one who spoke creation into existence. And you're standing before him? And if you are accountable for your life, then you answer to someone. It says this in Hebrews 4.13, and no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight. You can jot down in your notes, Coram Deo. C-O-R-U-M-D-E-O. Coram Deo. 
It's a beautiful phrase, you can look it up. What it is is that we are always under the presence of God, under the face of God. He literally is seeing us at all times. And this is the verse. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom, to whom we must give account. Coram Dale. So who or what are you enslaved to? Like what voice are you listening to? What is the loudest voice in your head when you wake up in the morning? That will tell you something about who you are enslaved to. What's the loudest voice in the morning or through the nine to five time? And if you're a student here, what's the loudest voice from the nine to three? What's the loudest voice? Is it your culture? Is it TikTok? Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it your email? Is it your, the people in your life? Or is it the Lord? What's the loudest voice? What about from five o'clock till 10 or 11 or whatever you go to bed? What's the loudest voice? We need to ask these things of ourselves because if we're unchanged walking through that door, you may be spiritually dead. I said this last week. You might be here spiritually dead. And I'm not okay with that. Like, I love you. I've changed my whole life to be here with you, to be a church with you, and I need you as much as you need me. So if we're unchanged walking through the door, there's a problem. Or is it the voice of the Spirit of God who now dwells in you? Like Jesus is your cornerstone, living off the prophets' teachings and the apostles' teachings, the Word of God. Is that your loudest voice? Or are you building on the cornerstone of you? Like you, like literally building your house on the sand. And living by the teachings of others, like think about this, especially you kids, you high school kids in here. Like, are you learning more from your friends? The teachings of your friends that really don't love you and don't care about you. When you build on the cornerstone of you, you seek pleasure, you seek pleasure rather than the creator of pleasure. You seek glory for yourself rather than recognizing you are a mere blip on the timeline of God. You think you're in control of what, 80 years? You have control of 80 years, maybe? Maybe 90? That's it. God is in control of eternal past and eternal future, and you think you're in control? You're playing the fool. You're living on the cornerstone of you. We we become okay with killing our unborn babies for the sake of our happiness and our comfort of life. Like I sat with a 20-year-old, 20-ish-year-old woman in my office. She was impregnated by her boyfriend. And she's broken, and she goes, I don't know what to do. 
and I encouraged her and counseled her as much as I possibly could towards Jesus Christ and the, the hope that she has in him. But she was enslaved to comfort, the comfort of life. This is going to disturb my life. So she chose to abort her baby, to kill her baby, so that she could have comfort, comfort life. It's foolishness. We self-harm to feel. We drink to forget. Some of us commit suicide to control. But to control what? What are you controlling? Like when I was watching these prisoners describe jail on these videos, the shallow dive, um, it was really interesting to say the least. And it was almost comical in some parts, but, it, but instead of laughing, it was incredibly sad for them because they're the, in this vicious cycle of folly that they could not see. They were completely blind to it. And we get blinded to our vicious cycle of folly as well, right? Like, like they were breaking rules which got them thrown into prison and then they made rules to live by. Why didn't you just live by these rules? And then you wouldn't be enslaved into prison. You'd be enslaved to these rules, sure. We're all prisoners of some sort. But a lot of things taken away from you. And if you didn't do my rules, then I beat you, stab you, or kill you. Do you hear what I'm saying? They are becoming gods, small g, making their own rules, live by my rules, live by my desires, live by my feelings. I want to live on the self kingdom. But when you give your lives over to Christ, when you submit to his authority, your new slave master gives hope. He gives forgiveness, like forgiveness for your past decisions, forgiveness for killing your baby, forgiveness for murdering your neighbor, forgiveness for committing adultery, forgiveness across the board, because he says, if you confess to me, I will wipe the slate clean. I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He provides protection. He clothes you in righteousness. He justifies you and makes you an heir of his kingdom. This is the message of Ephesians. This is the message of the wealth of the gospel. It seems silly to think that the world can actually offer you anything. But we keep being suckers for the lies that it offers. Right? This ha even happens in the church. Right? It's incredibly subtle, but it happens every Sunday. Every Sunday. Do you notice it? You should have today. You were given an extra hour of sleep. Every one of us cries for community. We long for it. That's why we're here. We long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We long for it. We want community. We speak it all the time as the church, right? Like we ought to be in community. And we're going to be launching our community group ministry in January, and it's going to be great 
to be involved in community. But guess what? There's a community here. But why are we showing up 15 minutes late every single Sunday? I'm saying this because I love you too much, all right? This is why I'm saying this. Show up early. You want community. Show up early. Show up at 9.30. Fellowship with one another. Care for one another. Love one another. Get to know one another's names. Pray for one another. Can you imagine if the church was like that? Like if we showed up here at 9.30 and just got to know one another and share with one another and care for one another and be on a ministry team and share and serve others for the hopes of others to come to receive the gifts of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if that was the church? And I'm not just being harp on you as the church. That's me too. I've been part of three churches in my adult life and every one of them People are showing up late, leaving early, but yet send me emails that they really want to be a part of a community. Here it is. Every Sunday we have a community, a big community group right here. Let's fellowship with one another. Let's show up with one another. There's this thing, it's called COVID-19. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. You have, yeah? And there's this thing, and there's a lot of people still at home because they're fearful of coming because of the distance. So if you feel comfortable with not being distanced, sit closer to the front so our brothers and sisters can come and be more separate in the back. We want them here. This is what what they need and we need. We need them. They need us. We need each other. We're happy to go grocery shopping, but we don't go to, go to our big community group on a Sunday. We need each other. We need to be a part of one another's lives and to share with one another and pray for one another and be distanced if we need to be distanced, but we need to see each other. To live as a prisoner for the Lord is hard. It will go against every part of your flesh But the more you walk down this path, allowing the Lord to lead you, there will be a fire within you that feels like life. And you're to give that life to others. 1 John 2, we're walking through 1 John uh, as a staff, and and I remember this passage in chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. It's not on uh, the screen, but just listen to what it's saying. Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. Don't be silly, don't be foolish, it's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you know what the will of God is? We've been reading it over and over in Ephesians. It's to gather as the church, to be united into the eternal family of God. This is the message. For this reason, it says, In verse one, there is no more hostility, brokenness, relationship with my creator. There is rather adoption, holiness, justification, unity as a family, adopted into his family. To be one, to be unified. 
For this reason, I, Jer, Adrian, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you. Can you do that with me? Can we die to ourselves together so that we can be prisoners of Christ for one another? This is the word prisoner. The next word I want to focus on is revelation. Revelation. As a prisoner of Christ Jesus, things have been given as revelation. Remember, we are not only tied physically to Christ, but we're actually tied spiritually as well. This connection allows us to see and have things revealed to us that we may not have seen in the past, but we're always there. They've always been there for us. The gospel and saving grace of God has always been there for the Gentile people. Like, do you know this? This is not a new message to Paul. Paul's now journey, his await, he's been revealed the goodness of, the, of Jesus and goodness of God, and he's going, you know what? I need to preach to the Gentile nation as well. That was his calling by Christ Jesus. It's always been there. We need to see this. Like, God is immutable. He, it means he's unchanging. So if God's message in the New Testament is to go preach to all nations, He's unchanging, so therefore it must have been in the Old Testament as well. Let me prove it to you. Genesis 12, 3. This is the covenant to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Isaiah 49, 6, it says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7, this is five, these are 500 years before Christ even entered onto this world. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Revelation is best defined as an unveiling, the unveiling of God to his creation, to his adopted family that receives him by grace through faith. See, the unveiling that Paul is referring to in our passage happened to him on the road to Damascus when his entire life was transformed, but it wasn't only revealed to Paul as if he was some super apostle. It was revealed to the prophets and the apostles to pen the very words of God. In verses four and five of our text in chapter three, it says, when you read this, read this letter that is documented into our canon, when you read this, you can, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Well, before going any further, I want to help us understand what this revelation is, and there's two forms of revelation that we need to understand. The first is general revelation. General revelation. General revelation refers to the general truths that can be known about God through nature. Like every one of us can see the general revelation of God. 
The most popular verses are in Psalm 19.1 and Romans 1.20, which read, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. For his invisible attributes in Romans, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. See, according to these passages, God's existence and power can be clearly seen through observing the universe. The order, intricacy, and wonder of creation speak to the existence of a powerful and glorious creator. It's just like our friend that walks up a mountain every single weekend and then after doing this for 70 plus years, stands before a holy God in all of his glory and goes, I didn't know. I didn't know, but he did. He just didn't ask the question because there's a veil. He's blinded by the goodness of God, but for, for some reason he's blinded, and we're gonna to get to that in a second, but he's, he's got a veil on his eyes that he cannot see. But can he? Like that same person goes into a museum or an art gallery and goes, look at that painting, wonder who painted it. Look at that book, wonder who wrote it. But every single weekend he walks a mountain and never goes, wonder who created it. It's foolishness. You know what, a big bang created that mountain. But you'd never, ever, ever say that when you walk into an art gallery and go, wow, a big bang created that painting. A big explosion did that. Or a big explosion created that book and it just came magically into page one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 400. It's crazy. It's foolish. See, God is the creator. The second is special revelation. So we have general revelation and we have special revelation. Special revelation refers to the more specific truths that can be made known about God through the supernatural by miraculous means. Special revelation includes physical appearances of God, dreams, visions, the written word of God, which is closed, that cannot be added to or taken away from, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. Like I said a few weeks back, and I keep saying it, we'll most likely keep saying it, try to at least say it every single weekend, that God, Jesus himself, walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. Lived a perfect life, taking our, crediting our sin to himself and putting on his righteousness, crediting it to us so that we can walk free and he pays the penalty of our sin. And then rose again three days later defeating death and sin. And then 40 days after that, entering in and ascending into heaven, into glory, sending his Holy Spirit to us. That's the special revelation that took place 2,000 years ago. We don't really need any other. The special revelation of God has taken place. He's left his word with us. He's left his story with us. He's paid the penalty for us. He's done everything. We have done nothing. But if you deny that special revelation that took place, that we celebrate here at this church, you're blinded. 
You've denied the special revelation of God. And if you stay here or come every Sunday and then leave unchanged, you need to recognize that you're spiritually dead. So if revelation means unveiling, then there must have been a time of veiling. Like I said earlier, this is where I answer that. Okay, there must have been a time of veiling. So why? Like why is there a veiling? Well, Paul answers it actually in Romans chapter two, verse five. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You are choosing punishment. You're choosing it by not asking the question, who created this? See, if a father tells his son, and I've done this, I'm a father of four, still have a couple at home, that they, I allow them to live in some of my rooms in my home. They're allowed to live in some of my rooms. They call them their rooms. Well, some of the times I go, hey, do you mind cleaning your room? Using their language, because I'm a gracious father. Hey, can you clean your room? And then I come home after work and I, and I come in and I notice their room is uncleaned. And I go, man, it's unfortunate. I have to discipline you now. Am I an ungracious, unloving father? You in high school are going, yeah, right? No, I've given you the opportunity to clean my room, to clean your room. I've given instruction. You chose disobedience. You chose discipline. You chose it. It says it right here in this text in Romans 2 and 5. This is what's causing division between you and God the Father and you and your earthly father. See, remember last week, you are dead, not because of God, but because of you and your sin. You are causing the chasm of separation between you and your heavenly Father by your stubbornness, by your unrepentant heart. You are actually storing up wrath against yourself. And we've all done it. Don't forget, your earthly father was a kid too that didn't clean his room. So there's gonna be grace. And we love our kids through it. So it's not God that causes the chasm, but it's us. But God wants to save. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us. So God says through the prophet Isaiah in verse 40, or chapter 45, verse 22, look at this, this, this verse is amazing. Turn to me and be saved. I could spend another two hours on just that. Turn to me and be saved. Like think about this, when you sin, what do you do? You turn away from God, right? You turn away. God's loving grace is going, turn to me. What do you do when you're angry with your wife, men? You either go silent or you turn away. What do you do, ladies, when you're angry with your husband? You turn away. Your whole day is affected. Right? We turn away from one another. There's hostility now in the relationship. God here is saying, turn to me. 
loving father saying, son, turn to me. I want to give you grace. I want to love you. Turn to me and be saved. You won't find salvation anywhere else. If you turn from your earthly father, where are you going to go? You'll always be connected. So why are you running away? Turn back. Find reconciliation. This is the story of God. So turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Or in 1 Timothy 2.4, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Father loves you. Has given the revelation of his completed word. Are you going to believe it? Are you going to live it? Are you going to be changed by it when you walk out this door? Then as you believe it, what are you then going to do about it? Like I said, there are really only two options. Either you hear this and just walk away, continue in a life of complacency, thinking that you're saved, believing that you're saved, imprisoned to self, living contrary to the words of God, living a vicious cycle of folly, just like the prisoner. Or, or you confess your sin, repent, and be baptized. You confess your sin, repent, and be baptized, representing, symbolizing, just like a wedding ring symbolizes marriage, symbolizing what Christ has done for you. He walked perfectly on this earth, died for our sin, and rose again in life, defeating death and sin, and now we are in him. He's done it for us. This is the symbol of baptism. And this is what our call is as followers of Jesus. God is gracious enough to offer us this opportunity. Do you want it? Do you want it? The third word I want to focus on this morning will not only close our time, but sum up Paul's reminder of the church in Ephesus. It's mystery. What is the mystery? Well, we We've covered this a few times. It was right in chapter 1, verse 10, I believe. The mystery is the unifying of all nations. This is the wealth of God, and it's in verse 6 here in our text. It says this mystery, here's Paul's explanation of it, this mystery is that the Gentiles, all nations, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the portion, this portion, anyways, of Uncle Paul's tangent this morning is that the wealth of the gospel is for all nations. It's for everyone. So come join in the Father's love for you. Be changed this morning from one degree of holiness to the next. Don't allow yourself to rule anymore. Allow the Lord to be your warden. Be a prisoner of his. So let's keep the main story the main story, all right? The main story the main story. I do this with four fingers. You can follow along. This little guy here is the biggest one. We are all sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing you can do to pay for that sin, and that sin requires the penalty of death. And there's nothing you can do to pay for that death. That sin needs to be paid for. 
So Jesus comes to be the propitiation. He comes to be the atoning sacrifice for that sin. He credits all of your sin onto him and he credits his righteousness onto you so that you can be saved. The crazy thing is even demons believe that. The one thing difference is that we're called to, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we're called to confess him to turn back to God and confess him as our authority of our life, to fall in love with him and abide in his laws, not breaking them anymore, trying to rule our self-existence, but literally fall in love with the creator of the universe and allow him to direct your path. Confess him today. Be a prisoner for Christ because the revelation is given. The mystery is revealed. God the Father is inviting you into his family to adopt you as his own. Will you accept it? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for the church. I thank you for the word that it convicts and it's hard, but it's so loving. Just like a loving father will press into his son because he loves him. Lord, thank you for pressing into us today, convicting us of maybe things that we've been complacent to for too long. Help us submit to you, Jesus. For those who want to be prisoners of you, Lord, help us. Fill us with your spirit and guide us. Train us in righteousness for your name's sake and your glory. For this in your name, amen.